But one thing I'm not joking about, I sure do love the Lord. Isn't God good? Oh, hallelujah. God is so very, very good. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Last Thursday night I sat here and preached, first time ever behind a table. I talked about idols. Here's a scripture that deals with this, but my subject tonight has nothing to do with with idols. But there is a phrase in this that I want to use for my subject tonight. So one verse only while you're standing. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, you know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. That means charity puffs up other people. <laughs> knowledge just puffs yourself up. But a true expression, a true expression of appreciation to someone else builds them up. I want to speak on the subject, building up one another. And you may be seated. Sister Grant was responsible for calling my attention to a book that we passed around uh, probably eight or ten years ago to our leaders entitled Building Up One Another. And it was just just a very great book. And there were a few things out of the book that I wanted to call your attention to. And then, like I usually do, I went off from the church today and left the book behind. But uh, pretty much knew what I... I needed. Sometimes I, I have a tendency to over-prepare. And when I over-prepare, that means you have to endure for a long time. So hopefully that won't be the case. I told uh, Sister Grant last Thursday night, I said, I'm good only for 30 minutes. Well, I, I was good for that and, and a little bit more. I remember one time we... We were having a prayer meeting. I got a call from Brother Brighthop, the superintendent of the Illinois district, and he said, Brother Grant, we're having a minister's lock-in. And he said, now, this is no joke. He said, we're having a minister's lock-in, and we want you to come down. We want you to to preach. And I said, well, what subject? He said, it doesn't make any difference. I just want you to preach all night. And I thought, oh, my. So I, was, I let the word out. And upon letting the word out, when we stood to pray, someone raised their hand and said, Let's pray for Brother Grant. He's going down to Illinois, and they've called on him to preach all night, and he really needs our prayers. And one sister lifted her hand and says, No need to pray about that. <laughs> kind of hurt my feelings, you know. I told Sister Grant, I said, you know, if I 
were real sensitive, I could have taken offense to that. She said, well, you know, you like for your people to tell the truth, so. Here we go, building up one another. Praise God. We started uh, a new program. I use the word program. Brother Manley said this is not a program. I just can't think of the appropriate word to use, but. Uh, if it's not a program, it's real close to it, Brother Manley. <laughs> well, <clears throat> at any rate, <laughs> we we have divided the church up. We had this several years ago. We did this because we feel that there are a lot of new people who are coming in the church that need constant care. I think this is true of newborn babes in the Lord. Brother Rich Thomas stood behind the pulpit and talked about one on one, the power of one, I think he titled it, the power of one. He talks about calling Brother Dale Humboldt every day, talking to him. I think this is so very, very important because, you know, there's so many negative things out out there in the world, and so many negative things. And it, I, I, I think that we just need to, we need to understand that you know, because of dispositions and personalities. You know, there's some people you couldn't hurt their feelings if you hit them in the head with a two-before. <laughs> but there are other people that if you just had a two-before in your hand, they'd think you were going to hit them in the head with it. You know, that's the way people are. So there are a lot of people out there that, that are very sensitive, and truthfully, there are a lot of wounded people in the world. And uh, the, the one consideration I've had for a long time and that has to do with uh, Christians, and more specifically ministers who become wounded. I just received a call, long-distance call, yesterday, and this was down south, one of our ministers called, and he has been talking to me about one of our ministers who made a very tragic mistake and was removed from the ministry, and he was telling me about what he was doing to help him. He was seeking my advice because he knew that I knew this man and worked with this man. But uh, he said, uh, I guess it's okay, Brother Grant, if I, if I help this man. I said, by all means. I mean, the man, the man may be removed from the ministry, but the man is hurt. And he has suffered very dearly because of his mistake. And, and, and certainly I, I don't want to get involved on in the do's and don'ts and the why's and why nots and such about being removed from the ministry, but... But I have seen this so often. Someone make a mistake and they're just kind of shelved someplace. And after a while, you know, they kind of fall through the cracks because there's not enough love there. And then I have seen other people who obviously made no mistakes, but through the stacking up of circumstances and such that, that life became very difficult for them. I pastored people who have gone through bankruptcy. I knew of a family... Lost their, the husband lost his job, the wife lost her job, and they couldn't find a, a sufficient job. They declared bankruptcy. They they lost everything. Finally, had to sell their house because foreclosure had set in, and a lot of things. And and, and you know this, this this is certainly not the time for any finger pointing or anything like that. It's the time to to really lift up a person because you know if if you uh, if you become judgmental and somebody loses out with God, 
and they die lost. They go to hell. That's a, that's a horrible, horrible price uh, that they have to pay. And uh, to think that they have to go through such great suffering here and then end up lost because of, of maybe the reaction of maybe some brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's, uh, you're talking about heavy stuff now. I've seen people with indifferent personalities come to the Lord. And uh, I've seen people, you know, pray and fast to get uh, so-and-so's child in or so-and-so's mother in or so-and-so's aunt or uncle or some relative in once they come to the Lord because of some indifference that they have, you know, in their personality or whatever. Uh, people would kind of shy away from them. And before long, they... They felt that nobody cared. I guess the truth of the matter is, uh, some did care, but not enough cared. See, if we have anyone in this church that that uh, is shunned by one or two uh, people in the church, that just simply means a very, very small percentage would uh, would would you know look at you and uh, perhaps desire to have nothing to do with you. But a person who is wounded, a wounded spirit, the Bible talks of that. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about that. So a wounded spirit, a hurt spirit, uh, people uh, get the idea that everybody feels this way. And you may take a poll, maybe there's only one that feels that way. But nevertheless, they get the feeling that everybody does. And I've had some real concerns about about uh, uh, Christians, about the church. I'm not talking about our church. Let me just stop before I go any further and say, I really do appreciate Calvary Gospel Church. I don't think, I don't, I don't know of a church any place that you could go to where there is better unity, better harmony, and people who care more than the people that I am addressing tonight, you. And I really commend you for that. I don't know of I don't know of a group any place. I mean that you genuinely care. And uh it, you know there're just there're just certain things that that uh that that you have to understand about Christianity uh, to to bring you to a point where I think a lot of you are in God. Uh, you don't just read the Bible and put it aside. It, it, it takes a careful study of the Scripture and the search of the, of the soul to see that if you're in alignment to the standards that are set forth in the Scripture. And I, I really do appreciate, I really do appreciate the people at Calvary Gospel Church. But I do know that I've, I've traveled enough to know that... Uh, uh, there are some places in which uh, uh, people, as far as I can see, they, they, they sure do come short uh, in, in the area of really caring, really loving, really building each other up. I remember um, a minister talking to me. He was a young man, a Bible school student, or right out of Bible school. And he went to a city to start a church. Now, this is when I live in Texas. So I asked this man, I said, uh, did you, uh, 
you know, how are you doing? He said, well, you know, he'd only had a few services, and he told me, he said, you know, i got a situation, and I don't know what to do about it. And I, I said, what is it? He said, well, there's a lady called us up, and she wanted to come to church. And so uh, he and his wife went by to pick her up. To their amazement, uh, when the lady came out, she was uh, shabbily dressed. Uh, you could tell that she didn't have much. She lived in a bad area of town, not much money. And the, I'm just telling what the minister said. And he said, besides this, this woman, as far as her looks, she was the most repulsive-looking individual I've ever seen. And she came to church, and she manifested a great desire. Now, here's the thing he said. He said, you know, i just never seen anybody so ugly. <laughs> and uh, uh, Now, this, this is quite a sensitive thing to me because I do not feel that anyone, because of, of, of their physical appearance, that, that anyone should be mocked or made fun of. I, I just feel that way. I think that's, I think it's, I think it's very, very distasteful. I may occasionally use the, the term ugly or beautiful as it relates to, uh, classes or specific, uh, or unspecific, uh, situations, non-specific situations. But, but to say a certain person is ugly. No, I just, I don't know. So I, I touched base with a man later, and he said, we just wouldn't go pick a woman up because she was so ugly. And she was our first convert, so to speak. And we just Now, you know, I, I don't know. That just, I couldn't believe that. I thought, hey. So I tried to reason with this man. Now, the sad thing about it is this man stayed there for some time, left the city, and never was able to build a church. I mean, the church went for a long time, the city did, without a church. And I don't know, that just, that, that, that bothered me. I mean, it bothered me a lot. You know, uh, the, the truth of the matter is that, that everybody is beautiful because they are made in the image and the likeness of God. Okay. Turn to the person next to you and tell them how beautiful they are. Say, you are beautiful. Building up one another. Praise God. Building up one another. It all starts in the home. We're going to first start. This may sound like a baby dedication or, or maybe a, uh, admonishment uh, at a wedding or something, but an admonition rather at a wedding, but nevertheless, uh, this is where I want to start. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. For he that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
How many of you men's ever picked on your wife? I mean, seriously, picked on her. All right. Maybe, maybe I should change it. Put your hand down. How many of you devilishly picked on your wife? All right. Carolyn pushed Bill's hand up. Now, I use the word devilishly because I'm talking about you, you, were, you were not doing it in fun. All right. Now, I, uh, I made a statement uh, last Thursday night, and I made the statement to our, our, our ladies, and I, I, want, I want you to understand w- what I was saying, uh, because several people asked me about this. I said that there were more scriptures in the Bible that had to do with a lady's dress code and ladies' apparel than men's. And I stick with that statement. But here's the thing. I did not say that there were more commandments and advice in the Scripture for ladies than men. It's the other way around. There's a lot more for men than ladies. Okay. So, if any of you men thought that you were just off the hook with God because God didn't care, (laughs) you know, how... How you lived, uh, I was not saying that. Because, you know, the Bible is, for the most part, written in the masculine gender. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Now, we understand that to mean everyone. And the reason why we do is because we find in the book of Acts that it is then addressed to everyone. As many as the Lord our God shall call. But uh, it, it, this business of building up one another starts in the home. And it starts with first husbands building up their wives, making them feel good about themselves. And, uh, you know, uh, just recently I said something to Sister Grant, and I, I detected by what she her answer that, that I had been disappointing her a little bit. And maybe I had put her down a little bit. And I'm not talking about in preaching, you know. You know, everything I say about her preaching is... If I had something serious to say to my wife that, that I was unhappy with, I certainly wouldn't do it across the pulpit. And I hope you understand that. I mean, this is, sometimes I, I kind of pick on her, but it's all in fun. You understand that. But I detected whenever I said something to her and she responded, I, I detected just a little quiver in her lip and she kind of puckered up like she was going to cry. And she says, oh, you wouldn't understand. And uh, it hurt me. I mean, it hurt me dearly because I thought, now here I have been floating through, probably pushing my weight around, so to speak. <laughs> so to speak. And here I had uh, somehow conveyed a message to her that uh, her advice or whatever just didn't, didn't, didn't count. Didn't make any difference. And I purposed when I saw the little quiver in her lip and she was serious. Now this is one thing I'm going to straighten up. 
and I'm going to I'm going to watch how I say things. I'm going to be more sensitive to her. Uh, I, I I think that's necessary. See, women for the most part run their lives by emotion, and men by logic. Now that's not to say. Listen to me. That women have a weakness and men have a. It can it can be contrary to that. Because. There's so much emotion involved in, even in logic. Because insensitive people can be way out of bounds, just be illogical about things. So you can, you can, you can be true to nature and yet not be true in your judgment of things. Because you're not as emotional as what you ought to be. And sometimes men, you know, they just like to just lay the law down. This is just the way it is. Even in, even in homes where men are, are, I wouldn't say would necessarily be the head of the household. That's just the way they are. Just, there's some, some men that, you know, they're not the head of the household. And, 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 and yet they, they still have this, 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 predominant way of looking at situations and they're just insensitive. And after a while, the, uh, for this to work right, a man has to be true to the nature of a man and a woman has to be true to the way God made her. And, uh, and a man must be extremely careful uh, when he is instructing his little ones and his wife. Amen? Now, everybody's afraid to even smile because you're afraid you might tell on yourself. But uh, I, we have a lot of men in our church who are very strong uh, domineering individuals. I, I probably am not one of those, but nevertheless, <laughs> uh, people with this type of uh, disposition, demeanor, uh, they have a tendency to kind of bulldoze over, over everyone, you know, and just just crash right through. And. Sometimes the the lady of the house playing such an extremely important role in that household can feel as if he doesn't care. And I I I wish that first all the men of our household households would. Uh, would just be a little bit more sensitive to their wives. Try to build them up. You may say, well, I, if I saw that much good, I guess I would. I've been told all those things in counseling. I've been told that. I really, I have. 
You know what I tell them? I, I tell men, I said, look, you know, I preached the message on enjoying the journey. I don't know that I've preached a message any time in the last year that I enjoyed more than that. <laughs> enjoying the journey. I think I preached that on watch night service. But I really did enjoy preaching that. Well, you know, my answer, I've talked with, I said, well, you're, you're not going to get a divorce, are you? No. I said, well, why don't you make the best of this? Why don't you make the best of it? I mean, just really have a good time and enjoy each other. Now, I've got a little bit of a, a, a pain in my neck tonight. I'm not really for sure what. I, I guess I slept on the pillow wrong or something. Just, you know, you feel like you need to turn your neck way around. It's been bothering me all day. Sister Grant asked me what it was. Well, yesterday I had occasion. You, you, you know, I'm, I'm on crutches, but I drove the bobcat yesterday. And, uh, of course, it, it took Charlie and Sister Grant and Dusty and, and, and the dog and a crane and everything else to get me in the bobcat. But I got in there, and, and I was driving this. And I told Sister Grant, I said, where I got this, this kind of kink in my neck was, I got, would you believe, here I was just going along there, minding my own business, feeding the cows, these great big round bales, and she threw a snowball at me and hit me right back here. <laughs> Gave me whiplash. <clears throat> Can you believe that? As nice as I am. She, here I was in there and I couldn't do anything about it. And then Charlie threw one at me. And then I, then I had the round bale on. And I took out after him, chasing him with the round bale. <clears throat> I told her, I said, "You're going to look like a needle in a haystack." <clears throat> but you know, we just had a blast, really. Then, then I, I stopped the bobcat and sneaked off and got a great big old snowball, and I went up there, and I just plastered her. <clears throat> Of course, we're out in the barnyard, and some of the snow's not white. What? Why can't you enjoy each other? Seriously. Why don't you act like a kid every now and then? Why don't you go back to the days of what you were courting and try to impress her? You know? Seriously. Boy, these, I'll tell you what. Ladies, uh, these, these men, can they really know how to spark until they get married. And it's almost like they just... <laughs> it's almost like they just they forget that... Well, they just become insensitive to the feelings of... Of, of their spouse. Praise God. All the ladies say amen to this. Would you please come on, ladies, get behind me. I'm trying to help you out a little bit here. You're just sitting there. You're, you're afraid to say, I'll tell you what, you go ahead and say amen as loud as you want to, and if your husband has problems with you, I'll help you as much as I can. <laughs> now, there's a, there's a point now which I won't help. I got a call one time 
So, oh, Brother Richard, come over here. We're having a fight. And I said, a what? A fight. I said, what's a fight all about? Oh, we're pulling hair, smashing plates, tearing up coffee tables. I said, don't call me. Call the cops. I said, I'm just a preacher. Domestic disputes, I'll get involved in. Domestic violence, I don't have any part with it. I said, call the cops. Now, in other words, if you say amen real loud and it brings about domestic violence, at least you know when to call me and when not to call me. <laughs> don't call me if you're fighting, but if you're trying to settle an argument. I'll help, I'll have to help you out. Now men, listen to me. Listen. All you men, look at me. If they, if they complain, don't go home and jump on them because I'm already on their side, you know. I've got to be right now. Okay. Building up one another. Enjoy. Enjoy each other. My, if you're not going to get a divorce, and you can't do that, because that's against Scripture. So if you're not going to get a divorce, why don't you just, why don't you sit down and say, hey, there's got to be some kind of a game plan in which we can really enjoy one another. I mean, if you go out and buy a parakeet and have fun with it, if you can buy goldfish and have fun with it, if you can buy a, a gerbil and, or hamster or something like that and have fun with it, sure, there's some kind of a way that you can figure out how to just plain have fun in marriage. Isn't this true? I'm telling you, yes, yes. Praise God. All right, so it starts in the home, building up one another. You should never purposefully just cut someone down. Now, you may say, oh, Brother Grant, you sound like you're, you're trying to play the role of an ideal. No, I just know the ideal. I violate. Just Sister Grant doesn't get the mic to tell about it. <clears throat> sure. And I would say there are times, too, in, in the church in which I am not so kind, and there are probably times if we held an election here, I'd probably get one or two votes. Probably Sister Grant would vote for me regardless because she wouldn't want the paycheck cut off. So that'd be one vote I'd get. I'm a member and I can vote myself, you know. So that might be two votes I'd get. <laughs> but outside of that, I might not get any votes. Brother Knopf said he'd vote for me. I just bragged up that uh, podium he built. Did you see that out in front? That's first class all the way, isn't it? We're going to use it for visitor registration stand. We got uh, a new book coming, and boy, it's going to be nice, I'll tell you. It's going to be nice. Brother Knopf, you did a real good job. Excellent job. Yes. All right. He even bought the wood himself. He went over and picked it all out, and he was real picky about it, you know, and chose just the right wood and got the stain, got it all together. Did a great job. Building up one another. Now, let's just talk about the, the wives now. You men ready to listen to this? Amen. All right. Okay. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. 
Now, Brother Charlie, you're supposed to turn up the mic just a little bit now. Okay. Oh, I'm just joking. First Peter 3. Likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Now, have you noticed that, that the way conversions usually occur, usually the wife comes in and then the man follows? You ever notice that? Now, we have had, uh, in the past, traditionally, we've had more men in our church than we've had women. And just, you know, uh, we've had pre- preachers ask, Brother Grant, I know you got more men than women. I said, it's only because I'm a better soul winner than Sister Grant. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true. I did say that, but it isn't true. Okay? Now, I have seen a turn in the last, I would say, 15 years of almost as many men coming into the church as women. But most of the time, in a husband-wife situation, usually the wife will come in first. That's usually the case. Now, here's the thing that happens. I've seen no telling how many wives come in first and they get one or two scriptures under their belt. And they think, you know, that i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to impress my husband. And so they go and they throw this scripture, you know, just full blast. Just throw it all out there. Kind of reminds me of a story that Brother Rutherford told about the rancher. Had a big snowstorm and had a little country church. And uh, so what, what he did, uh, he started calling around and found out nobody was coming to church. But, but then he called one old gentleman that lived right down the road, a retired rancher, and he said, Oh, yes, I'll be there. I'll walk. And the, 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 the preacher said, Well, it seems kind of strange, you know, that, that uh, you know, I've, I've, I don't want you to... The, the rancher said, No, I, I need to hear what you have to say. He said, You know, it's like this. If, 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 you, had a, if you had one cow, well, that cow would need to be fed, wouldn't it? And, uh, yeah, sure. So, uh, the old rancher appeared and the preacher got behind the pulpit and he preached 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 and he preached. And finally he didn't have anything else to say. So when he finished he went down and said, you know, you were right. I'm glad you told me that. He said, there's just one thing I'd like to tell you though. He said, if you only had one cow, you wouldn't give him a whole barn full of hay. <clears throat> so what happens sometimes, you get a few scriptures. Now notice what the, the Bible says, that they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. A chaste conversation means your pure behavior. Now we're talking about building up one another. There is no way that husbands can build up their wives if they walk through the house feeling that they are superior to their wife and everybody else in the house. That's the worst way that you can do this. 
You may say, I thought the man was supposed to be the head of the household. He is, but I'm not talking about that aspect tonight. And you've heard me teach on that. Men and women and children, pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, elders, we all have different roles in life. If all of us worked, let's say for American family, we would probably be divided up with different roles over there. I call American family because we have people that work for American family. We'd all have different roles over there. So we have different roles. But the thing about it is, in a family, one person is not more important than the other. And uh, I, I, I guess it just kind of bothers me when, when I hear about men always saying, well, I'm the head of this house. You know what I think when I, I hear you say that? I feel like you're pretty much trying to convince yourself of that. You hear? Now, <clears throat> turn the tables now. See? The other side of that is that the woman comes to God. The husband's not in the church. She gets a few scriptures under her belt, and she thinks, Oh, I'm special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him how the cow eats the cabbage, so to speak. So she goes in, and she just blasts him with these scriptures. She thinks God's going to favor her. But it doesn't work. And Peter goes on to say, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. In other words, if you want to win someone to your side, someone to your point of view, the best way to do it is to build them up. In other words... Don't go out see what you do when you criticize, what you do when you blast, what you do when you're unkind. It's like that you it's like building a, a moat around the castle. A channel of water, something that, something that you can't bridge over, you can't get over it. And you know, I've always felt this way, if what I am teaching is imperative, I would certainly be a fool not to seek out a productive means to see that accomplished. So, in a home, we should make each other feel important. Because both are important. And then here are the children. Now this is something that, that uh, I want to talk about. I think everyone in the family should be respected. We just had a child that was put in our Christian school because the public school teacher was just down on the child. And, uh, you know, I have, someone talked with me not too long ago and said, uh, you know, I'm feeling real bad about it. I just know of a situation which a child is is told, and this has nothing to do with the situation that I mentioned about the public school, but a child is told that he's stupid all the time. You know, you can do stupid things without being stupid. You say, how can you do that? 
because you can do stupid things. I'm talking about one or two things without being stupid, and I classify stupid in this as a general outline for the individual. You know, you can fail without being a failure. Because failing denotes a one-time occurrence, whereas failure is a mindset. And what happens after a while, the family's just... I've called homes before, long distance, some local. It sounds like a dog fight. Just, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm talking about hostility. I'm sure when our children were at home, some of you called and it sounded like a dog fight. A couple of times we did have a dog fight. But you know, if this just becomes a way of, of, you know, if that's an accepted way, uh, what happens? The children grow up then not feeling uh, a, a sense of accomplishment. When your children do things that are nice, you should brag on them. If your husband does something that's nice, brag on it. If your wife does something that's nice, brag on her. Seriously. Well, I tell you what, right after we got married, I really learned my lesson about this. I remember in, in school, we, uh, I had a, a class called American Citizenship. And they talk ethics. And we also learn, you know, etiquette and such. And, uh, one thing that I, I was taught, and I, I did this at home, you know, if mother cooked something I didn't like it, you just don't, you don't say you don't like it. Dad said, oh, you don't say you don't like it, just don't eat much of it. <laughs> she worked hard, son. Of course, the thing about my dad, he liked everything. <laughs> but, <clears throat> we'd been married Oh, I don't know how many years, but not many years. And I had forgotten Sister Grant's anniversary. Our anniversary. <laughs> Sister Grant's. Our anniversary. I'm sorry. I had forgotten it. I'm serious. Now, the thing about it is I had a beagle hound. A little beagle hound. And this beagle hound had a birthday the day before our anniversary. And I made such a big deal out of And I called this beagle hound. She's a registered beagle. Registered beagle. Called her a little bit. And I got her in there, and I gave her a new bone, and a little bit was just, oh, she was just wagging that tail all over the place, and, you know, licking me in the face, you know, how the beagles are. And, and you put her outside, and because you paid her a lot of attention, she's going to boo all night long. Beagles are bad about barking. If you ever want a dog that don't bark, don't get a beagle. At any rate, I made such a big deal out of it. <clears throat> the next day was our anniversary, and she had invited Brother and Sister Fuller, David Fuller, David and Jean Fuller over. And I had gone all day long, hadn't said anything about it, forgot it. And here they came, and I forgot it. And David just spared my life. I mean, he really did. He came around and says, I think you've forgotten something today. And I thought, what? You know, it's a special day. I said, no, my dog's birthday was yesterday. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> It's our anniversary. This message is going to get me in trouble. <clears throat> Shall we stand and we'll let... <laughs>
We'll let Brother Manley dismiss in prayer. <laughs> well, I went in and I, I tried my best to make it sound like I was just saving it, you know, to the last minute. But there's no card, there's no flowers, no chocolate, there's nothing, you know. So I go in and I says, oh, you know. She said, I know what you did, you forgot it. Well, I had already given my heart to the Lord and I was pastoring already, so I couldn't lie. I said, yes, I did, and I'm very sorry. She said, it seems real strange, you know, that you remember your dog's birthday. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I don't know how old that dog would be today if she was still alive, but she's somewhere in the in the beagle heaven. You believe dogs will go to heaven? Horses will, I know. The reason why I know it's because at the end of the tribulation period, when the Lord comes back for the battle of Armageddon, he's going to be riding a horse. And see, I feel that everybody ought to know how to ride a horse. Otherwise, you might be stuck up there without transportation to get back here. <laughs> oh, my. <clears throat> I don't even know what I was telling now. I forgot. I mean, I literally forgot. What was I saying? Our anniversary, yes. She said, oh, you just forgot that. And you remember. Well, I was trying to make it up and everything. But but she kind of ticked me off a little bit. You know. I mean, I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that uh, she had this nice meal prepared. And we sat down. And the first thing I did, I got some salad. And, and I knew better than this because I was taught better. I was taught better at home. I was taught better in school. My dad said, the only place you complain about food is when you go to a restaurant. I said, why? He said, you got to pay for that. <laughs> so I was eating this salad. I said, what happened to this salad? And my wife poked me like this. And I said, what are you poking me for? I said, this is terrible. I looked at Sister Fuller and I said, this is terrible. She said, I made it. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I, I lost my appetite. <clears throat> I mean, what do you do? I mean, what do you do, really? Somebody over there to celebrate your wife's anniversary. <laughs> And you t- I'm here to tell you, I, l- I ate the rest of that salad. I loved it. I took some more. I ate it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> every bite I took just grew on me, you know. Some things have to grow on you. I'm telling you, that just grew on me. That was just, it was just such a great, such a great salad. But my my whole point in this is I don't really know now. I don't really know what the point was. Oh, building up one another. Yes, yes. My, 
time out. Come up here, Sister Grant. <laughs> oh, my. You know, in the church, there has to be respect for each other. Seriously. <laughs> I'm trying to be serious now. <clears throat> respect for each other. Oh, glory. Don't you wish you had some water? Sister Grant got a, a bread machine for Christmas. It was my idea because I bought it for her. And I figured we'd just have bread all over the place. <laughs> she made a few loaves that were not quite as good as the most recent ones. But you know, <clears throat> this is life. Everything doesn't turn out good. There are a lot of bad things that happen in life. You know? If you were training someone to make bread and they made bread, you'd probably taste it and say, hmm, maybe you need a little of this or a little of that or whatever. But you know if you wound a person, they'll probably give up. And you know, I've, I've thought of all the people I've worked with and the people in the church I've worked with. And I think that the important thing is that, that you respect each other in a home like you respect people that are not in your home. Don't you think that's, that's important? And of course, Paul goes on to, Peter goes on to say that you should uh, acknowledge your wife and, and give honor to her, uh, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, if you're angry with your brother without a cause, guess what the Bible says? Anybody have an idea what the Bible says? You're in danger of the council. In other words, you're in danger of someone judging you. But you treat your spouse with the same respect. It should be more, but at least the same respect that you would treat a brother or sister in the Lord. Isn't that right? That's, that's the teaching of the Scripture. And then when it comes to, to each other in the house of God, respect for each other. Now, I know that we need to adhere strictly to the laws of God. So I'm not making a variance here. But when we say respect each other, respect each other's ideas lifestyles. See, everybody doesn't live like Brother Grant. And everyone in this building has a different lifestyle. You respect their culture. That's extremely important. Here in Madison, we have people from all over the world. we got people from... Nigeria, Sister Rose, where's Sister Rose? Sister Rose here tonight? I don't see Sister Rose. 
You're talking about a real sweetheart. Sister Rose Ojo is a real saint. We got people from far away places like Texas and places like that. We respect people's background. It may or may not have any bearing on the color of their skin, but the color of their skin. We respect people's education or lack of it. We respect people's financial status in life or lack of it. In other words, what I'm saying is all these things don't matter. We're all born of God and chosen of God to do a great work. We respect the social level or echelon upon which they live. All of those things are extremely important. The church is not a place to come and show off what you know, what you own, how you look. Knowledge puffs you up. But love edifies, builds you up. The Bible tells us in Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 9, let your love be without dissimulation, meaning hypocrisy. And I, I, I like to think of that as it's not what you tell a person. Now, you're telling someone that you love them is important. But it's how you act. Now, we have people here that every time they see me, they think that I'm the, or at least they act like they think that I'm the most important person in the world. There's some people that are just that way. I remember up at camp when Lenny and Kathy Smith took Sister Grant and I out out to eat. They went to their pastor and asked their pastor, is it okay if we take uh, Brother and Sister Grant out? He said, oh, sure. So Brother Smith came and asked me, he said, could we take you out? I said, oh, we'd be delighted. We'd feel honored. And we got in the car, and Lenny looked at the cat and said, I told you they would come if we asked them. And I said, what's this all about? He said, well, we were just wondering. You know, because you're superintendent and we're just peons, you know. That's a word they use. If you'd really go out and eat with us. I said, we certainly will. And this superintendent and his wife and you two peons are going to have the greatest time <laughs> we've ever had in our life. We're going to go into, I don't know where we went now. Perkins probably. Ponderosa. So we went into Ponderosa and wrapped our choppers around some of that good grub in there and just had a great time. But the truth of the matter is, I'm going to tell you, when, when Lenny and Kathy told me that, it, it kind of, it bothered me. When I became superintendent, I had a very good friend who called me up and said, are you going to still be my friend? I thought, what's this got to do with it? 
But this doesn't have anything to do with it. I was told when I became a superintendent, I was told this by a former superintendent, that there's some kind of a great cloud that comes out of heaven and rests upon you. And you're going to feel this, and you're going to feel different about it. I've been superintendent almost 15 years, and I keep looking for that cloud. <laughs> it might come down one day, but I'll tell you, if you help me pray about it, it won't come down. We're all one in Jesus. You know that? I said, we're all one in Jesus. We're all one in Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Listen to this. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Now, this was a feeling that David had. It was hidden in a cave. You know, that's, that's a very, 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 very dangerous place to be. You ever feel like nobody cares for you? Well, I'm sure that all of you have been there. I've been there before. I, did, I have never been there for a long period of time, but I've felt that. But this, this is so very, very important. Why? Because... You may feel like nobody cares. And maybe in some situations, more people care for certain ones than others. But we want to make sure that you understand tonight that there are a host of brothers and sisters that love you and care for you. And if you get in spiritual trouble in any way, don't go hide someplace in a cave. Isolate yourself and feel like nobody cares. We do care. Praise God. We do care. Praise God. Now turn to the person next to you and say, I love you and I care for you. Praise God. Now, I'm going to have to cut this message short because of all this carrying on that you folks did. Love, you know what? Love is a strong indicator to the world. In John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said, The love that you show one to another is conclusive evidence to the world that you are my disciples. It's a strong indicator to the world. I'm not saying that your love that you show for each other will, will be the proper, altogether the, the only witness, maybe I should say, that they need. But I'll tell you what, you know... It, it, it is very, very important because, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, I, I remember right after the O.J. Simpson trial that I listened to a whole lot of talk shows. Every place I'd go in the car, I'd keep this on. It was just talk show, talk show, talk show, talk show. And what they were trying to do is get some of these, these lawyers in some kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a uh, crossfire with each other. And you, you know how the, the media is, does this, but... You know, the thing about it is, and I think maybe they did accomplish some of that, but but if you go out in, in the professional ranks, and we have some people here working in the medical field, you know, I have gone to doctors in which I felt that maybe the opinion that they gave me wasn't quite right. I've gone to other doctors, and I'd, I'd sit there and say, but this doctor told me. And those doctors just sit there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to say, well, don't you know, don't you know how to say something bad about him? 
you know. Mm-mm. Don't you wish we could be that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe you folks. I won't quit preaching to you if you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't this something I'm telling you? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll guarantee you one thing. There would be great favor coming upon anybody, any body of believers, if they would manifest an ethical code toward their brothers and sisters that you see in some professions. Doctors, lawyers, other professionals. They may, in their own mind, they may say, wonder why that doctor told him that. But they're not going to tell me that. Why? Because in the long run, that does not help the medical profession, does it? No, it does not. Love can change a life, and I want to just, I want to make mention of this, and then I'm going to stop. And 1 John 3.16, I'll quote this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, and that He laid down His life for us, so ought we to lay down our life for the brethren. I've got to tell you that after coming out of Bible school, and I don't know, you get with a lot of young preachers, and I, I kind of reached a point in my life that I thought success was pretty much determined by how many people I could run away from church. You know, if I went someplace and preached, you know, if I, if I made a whole bunch of people mad while I was preaching, I did a good job. That's the way I looked at it. And then I started pastoring, and while we did have a growing church, we had a lot of people coming in and going out. And uh, you know, always blame it on other things, see. And then I moved to Wisconsin, and then I moved to from Shano, which we had established the church there. We had a plan. Sister Grant and I had a plan. We were going to give 10 years to home missions, and then we were going to become foreign missionaries. To what country? I don't know. But everything was going according to plan, and all of a sudden, my youngest son, Steve, who just had his 30th birthday last Friday, almost died with a kidney disease. And this one little situation changed my life. I mean, you get your little child in your arms, and he's, he's gaining two to three pounds of body weight, water weight, per day. And then he heard the doctors talking to us about, we, we really don't know. It's just so hard on his heart. We don't know if he's going to make it or not. And he heard them, and we didn't know that. And then one night, I was so tired. And I, I, just, I just thought, I've got to take a nap. And he came and got in my lap and said, Dan, you're not going to leave me, are you? And then he looked at me and said, am I going to die? You know, you want to say, no, son. But I, I was confused. I didn't really know. But I'll tell you what changed me. So I was in, in La Crosse. I was working. I was trying to establish a church. I didn't have any health insurance. Doctor bills were high. All of a sudden, cards started pouring in. Telephone calls. Money was being sent. Within just a matter of month, a month or so, you can't believe the number of cards and telephone calls. 
I found out that people were a lot nicer to me than I had been to them. They cared a lot more for me than I would cared for them. It wasn't that I didn't care. I was just too busy sometimes just to stop and chat or talk. And it sent me crushing in humility before God in repentance. I found out that there is a church out there, regardless of what you may think, that really does care. I had foreign missionaries to call from the mission field. Say, Brother Ground, I heard about your son, and I just want you to know that we're praying. Now, in Proverbs eighteen twenty four, there is a scripture that says that if a man wants friends, he must show himself friendly. And I've had people to say, you know, how come people never call me? Well, you know, <clears throat> you catch a whole lot of flies with honey. You've heard that, haven't you? Did you know you can get a whole lot of friends, too, just by being friendly? In fact, most people who are not friendly only have just a few friends. Just a few. And I've had, I've had people to call and say, I, let me tell you something. You know, if I had to invite the best friend, the very best friends I had, to, let's say, some social whatever, I don't know where I'd start. I don't know who I'd invite. Now, if I could invite a host of people, that would be different. And I hear about people, I'm turning the tables on you a little bit. So, well, I just wish I had a friend. Well, have you ever thought about being friendly? In other words, if you edify other people, if you build them up, if you make them feel important, you're going to have people aglore. Have you ever seen just a real nice couple, friendly to everybody, outgoing, accommodating, just had no friends? But have you ever seen an old sore head, sour puss someplace that had no good thing to say about anybody, that was just surrounded by friends? It doesn't work that way, does it? It does not work that way. Romans 12.20 talks about heaping coals of fire upon your enemy's head. Now, you know, that's, that's actually taken from a little situation that you find in, in throughout the Oriental and, and, and Far East and Near East countries in which community fires were kept alive overnight. And then the people in the individual homes would go out and they'd get a bucket of coals or usually some earthen vessel full of coals. And they carried those things on their head then, you know. They'd come back in. And on the way from that community fire back in the house, got a little warm sometimes. 
And sometimes we use this like, boy, I really heaped coals of fire on their head. That's not what it's talking about. You know what it's saying? It's saying, you know, you can even warm up your enemy if you'll just build a good fire. Let him partake of it. You can actually warm up your enemy. i tell you what let's do. Let's declare this week. This week. Now, I was planning on going to headquarters, and I decided not to go. The reason why is because, well, i got a crutch i got to drag along, maybe two, and I haven't been feeling the best. Let's declare this week as building up one another week. Let's see how many people we can call every day. I'm not saying just stay on the phone now, but I'm saying we can work it in. Call them and let them know, genuinely let them know. I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you today. I love you and I care for you. See, that's what it is. It's your, it's your behavior. See, that, that's, that's, that, that's how we do it. it. It's your behavior. How many of you will cooperate with me this week? Let's do that. Praise God. All right, I want you to stand with me right now. Oh, God. Now, if you can warm up your enemies by putting coals of fire on their head, what do you think you can do for brothers and sisters? Love you already. Praise God. So we want everybody here, I mean everybody here to cooperate, participate this week. Call someone that you normally don't call. Now, we, we have, you know... There are some people who can only have one friend or maybe two friends. Now, let me, just, let me just instruct you here for a moment. You are doing the body of Christ an injustice by isolating yourself with one or two people. Now, I know Brother, Brother Thomas preached on the power of one and the, the importance of discipling one person and staying with that one person. But you know very well that it's extremely important that you broaden your fellowship beyond that point. Now, you may not be a mentor to a whole lot of people, but you need more than one or two friends. And you do the body of Christ and injustice. Praise God. I want you to lift your hands right now, and I just want you to just thank the Lord for the body of Christ. I love you, Lord. I worship you, God. I praise you, Lord. Oh, God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.